Music, please. I started Bogan, and it was like... Ballroom is about to be more popular than Studio 54 ever was. Ain't no way you're getting anybody to give you a storefront if they clock you. I've been saving for this for over a year. It's my dream. I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you. I can't even trust you. It's a thing. I let you talk me into not wearing a condom again. You are young, black, gay, and poor. This world despises you. You get this disease, you die. They feel relieved. You know it's a guy, right? I cannot do business with a liar. You threatening me? Only your kneecaps. What am I going to do? I'm worried about you. Tonight, we're celebrating passion, desire. For the record, I'm Team Poppy. To family. Family. <laughs> All right, y'all. Welcome back to the House of Poser. This is the Carefree Black Nerd review of FX's most inclusive scripted series, Pose. We are back with the season two, and shh, bruh, it's fine on all cylinders. I, of course, am your host, Rain Coleman. Thank you guys for joining me for yet another episode, and uh, let's dive right in. Now, episode season two, episode two, worth it. Blanca launches a business venture with unexpected results. Ricky's travels have unexpected consequences for him with Damon. And Electra shocks the ballroom community with a bold move. Bruh. Y'all, a lot went on this episode. Uh, while listening to this episode of House of Poser and while you're watching Pose live on FX on Tuesday nights, please be sure to use that hashtag PoserPod. While listening and while watching, make this a conversation. Okay, so a few things. Uh, Tati from my house is on pose. Like I, I don't know if it's because I don't look at uh, I don't know upcoming episodes. I just watch as it happens. But I had no idea Tati was gonna be on here. So that was a very unexpected surprise. Let's see, Blanca versus um, a racist shop owner. Um, let me see, Blanca with the nail salon, Ricky and Damon and their drama, and Electra is a dominatrix. So that's a few of the highlights for this episode. So, um, yeah, getting right in. Let me know, guys, in the comments, and let me know via Twitter. Uh, use the hashtag PoserPod. My handle is CarefreeBlurred. If you watched episode two, what your thoughts are, general overview, and we can make this a very interactive episode. Now, we start off... Uh, First, can we give shout outs, praises, and all that shit to Lulu? I don't care what y'all say. I am rooting for the House of Ferocity. Yes, I love Evangelista. And yes, Abundance, or the house formerly known as Abundance, now Wintour, is, 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 is killing it. But we can't knock Ferocity. Like, that's the bougie underdogs who are I feel like they're gonna do some shit they're gonna do some damage this season I really really hope so uh one thing I do like about this show is the way time moves you know, guys who have been longtime listeners of carefree black nerd know that I am a fan of the uh UK shows uh the dramas the comedies the all that stuff because with them you traditionally get maybe six episodes a season, maybe eight episodes. They don't go that far in episodes, but they're always jam-packed and full of stuff that feels like it may have been a 22-episode season, but it was really only eight episodes. And that's how I think that Pose is moving. I don't know what the end game is because now we're in the 90s. We're in 1990. Uh, so, yeah, so a correction on the first episode. I wasn't clear what year we're in. We are actually in the year 1990. So I'm wondering if with the um, solidifying season three, which, okay, pump the brakes. How could I not say that at the top of the show? We have been renewed for a season three uh, pose. So that means the House of Poser will be back for a third season. <laughs> this happened a few days ago uh, at the time of this recording. But I don't know, like I said, with this getting a season three, where we're moving in this space. Are season two running straight through the 90s or at least through 95? Are we staying in 1990? Will we exist here for seasons three as well? So it's, it's interesting to see what they're going to do with the, uh, with the time frame. Because I think, and to me, it feels as if the time period is as much of a character as everyone else on the show. Much like New York. 
and then those of you listening from the New York or the surrounding area or those of you who are very familiar with it, I'd like for you guys to tweet me and leave comments to let me know, is this representative of New York? Even if you weren't alive back then or you was a little kid or in your 20s or whatever, as someone who's visited New York before, I've never lived there proper. I have friends from there, but I don't know the ins and outs of daily life to say, oh, that's, remember, you know, back in 95, that's what that happened, you know, so if you see some things or if it's just accurate to the, uh, to the, the location, let me know. I'd like to know that as a, um, fan of the state of New York. <laughs> okay. So Electra, I knew it. And then it was confirmed with the like super trailer we got for season two at the end of episode one. But Electra is like a dominatrix. She is, you know, I don't even know if that's the accurate term for it, but she's in what I'm going to assume is a dom sub relationship at this bar. So instead of like season one, how her and Angel were dancing behind this like bulletproof glass, kind of a red light district area, she's in a space where there is a full room set up for this sexual experience. Um, and y'all don't drag me, but I don't have the correct terminology. I don't know if this is a fetish or if this is a kink, but it was very much that dominant, submissive, uh, uh, whips and chains, Rihanna sung S&M type of feel. And it was a big ass room, like full of lots of toys and, 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 uh, beds and couches and surfaces and swings and shit to play on so it's very interesting that's another thing i like about this show is that they're not shying away from things that people are actually dealing with that people are actually into even taking it so far uh taking it back to season one with stan and angel though it was a relationship that had people had strong opinions on that's still a real life situation that has been going on and for it to be told from the viewpoint of those who actually live and walk in that space i.e trans women it was very different than say their relationship being played for laughs or being played as this b plot that's just that's not going anywhere. I felt it felt very different in how it's been portrayed in other media. Even the fact that Angel is a sex worker is being handled, I feel, with care in a way that you wouldn't see handled on, I don't know, Law and Order or any other uh, drama, dramedy, or whatever set in the same time period. You know, if you agree, let me know. Uh, Twitter, Carefree Blurred, use the hashtag PoserPod. I think they're taking a lot of care. So that being said, moving a bit um, further from season one into now, this sexual space that um, Electra is existing in with these gentlemen callers, so to speak, is a very real thing. People have those types of, um, I mean, you look at Fifty Shades of Grey, like that's a thing, but to see it, this space being portrayed in the light that it is because it's not like for the show of course it's this seedy thing that this man is paying her for this work but it's also i feel and i could be wrong and women out there and trans women and cis women are like let me know it could for me it seems that it's very empowering like yeah there's an exchange of money of funds but i'm also providing a service and i'm doing this thing that puts me me uh, speaking, oh Lord, y'all know how I get me in this example being Electra and the women like her who are in this, uh, who work at this place. You're putting me, i.e., Electra, in this space where I am, um, I'm in, in, in control. Not only am I fulfilling a fantasy for you and I'm getting funds for it, I'm also in a power position over you. So I don't know, it's just. I think that they're handling it better than you would have seen it handled by someone else. Not that no one can do this justice. I just like, in short, I like what they're doing with Electra. And this is a very interesting play on someone like her, who is this big personality and this very strong personality and very commanding personality. Um, I do like that with all her strength and power and sadidiness and all that electra still she had a conversation with one of the the girls working with her 
who there was like, yeah, you make, she said, I make more money here tonight than I would have made at her main job in a week. And her main job is a hostess at this uh, kind of high-end restaurant. And the girl's like, oh, well, you can stop working at whatever, Lachey Marie or whatever it is. She's like, oh, no, that's my daytime job. This is my nighttime job, and this is going to fund whatever, and this and that. And even though I get what she was saying, how the the hostess job lets you rub shoulders with the, you know, bougie, high-end, wealthy folks of New York, and this gives you the money to live the life you want, it's still kind of read as a fear thing. Um, and now I could be looking too much into it, but what I gather from that scene, and let me know if you agree or disagree, or if you have any other uh, thoughts on this, it felt as if Electra, though she is in this position of power and is getting this money from these men, and it's legitimate money, it's a service you're providing, it still felt like, yes, I want to be the hostess to be around the wealthy people, but also without that hostess job that is giving you that legitimacy she would probably be no better than she was before in season one when she had to go to the the red room or whatever and it seemed that again i don't doubt that being around the wealthy people and in their face is a good thing it just seems like without that then you kind of lose your identity you lose the thing that you want the most and Electra has lost a lot she's a shitty ass parent she's a shitty ass person at times but she's lost a lot and sacrificed a lot to be in her true self so I'm just I'm interested in what they're doing with this Electra story and I want to see more um long story short Electra starts her own house she stays with House of Ferocity these chicks are eating I believe it was a shake, a milkshake for dinner. And then like, and I don't know what this was. Everyone had these like little bags that look like if you go to a Mexican restaurant and they give you chips and salsa and you get your chips in this bag. That's what that looked like. I could be wrong. Either I didn't listen right or something, but it looked like they were just putting hot sauce into that bag. So they were eating like slim fast, drinking some fast and eating these chips. I don't know. But Electra's signature move now is flipping over tables because she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm working. I'm paying more than these hoes. I need to have the a bigger closet. And Kenny's like, look, bitch, me and Lulu share a bed. We share the closet. You use the space under your bed. And it's such an interesting conversation, like what we've been given in season one, how these women have been established in the houses, you know, overall. And seeing Electra at the top of the top, so to speak, in the very beginning, episode one, and to see where she is now and then see how her kids have evolved. I don't want to say past her, but in a sense past her. They're more, though she's more financially set than they are, they seem to be more secure in other ways uh, with their house and, and, and with their ballroom scene. Like, it just feels like they are, they've gone out, they've left the nest and they're doing their own thing. Um, in the, in the house of ferocity, Electra is running amok. You know, she flips over the table. She's like, fuck you hoes. I'm leaving this motherfucker. Cool. What I don't like, and we, I don't know if we'll even get it, but we have to acknowledge the strides that ferocity has made. Like in all the shit that Lulu and Candy got going on, these are two strong personalities there. We don't see them really conflict with each other they'll say a smart comment here or there but they seem to be working well as a unit mm. and though the houses are usually ran by women uh and men house father and mother and whatnot in this show we're seeing a lot of house mothers not fathers so i'm i'm cool with that billy porter kind of surrogate house father but that aside we also should focus more on them these are two women the scrappy underdogs who have built <clears throat> their way up. We got to see an in-depth look at Blanca getting her physical house and getting her children together and creating her house. We didn't get the same for Ferocity. And I know they were set up as the villains last season, but they're still here. They still matter. Their story is just different from Blanca's. And I, uh, I, I'm hoping that we get more of that. If by nothing else, but the 
fact that we'll get more trans representation because there are other women in the House of Ferocity who, um, you know, are doing well. Good actresses. I'm so happy that this show is is making a way for them. But can we get a bit more focus on them? Like, I don't want it to be that they're just the Banji ghetto girls who... You know, they're not sophisticated like Electra or wealthy like Electra. And they're not, you know, polished around the edges like Blanca is making her family. I do enjoy the Evangelistas, but give me some ferocity. I don't know. Let me know. Is it just me? Am I the only fan of ferocity out here? Because <laughs> let me tell you something. On this podcast, until otherwise, until given a reason not to be, we are fans of ferocity over here. God damn it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, Again, I'm so happy we're getting a lot of trans women uh, representation. And I'm going to speak on something else that I'm not sure I'm qualified to speak on. Again, women, let me know. But I'm not really happy with the color scheme on this show. Um, and this, I'm speaking specifically about the trans women. I'm not speaking about the cast at large, though we have a bit of issue there. Every motherfucker on here is red. Like Electra, big personality, beautiful dark-skinned woman, and Candy as well. But uh, that's it. <laughs> like, even the other women in the House of Ferocity passed the paper bag test. Um, and then the women that Electra picked up, same there when she started the House of Wintour. Um that's, that's something there, and that's kind of piggybacking off of my issue in episode one that I've kind of had since last season with the, tr- not treatment of Candy, but the way she's handled. Now, this could be, you know, you need to pick your battles. Like, one, we have this amazing show, so if that's the thing, <clears throat> I don't think having this amazing show excuses the fact that we have these trans women and they're all red. Like, give me... Where are the dark-skinned girls? Where are the, the, the ones who don't pass the quote-unquote paper bag test? Where are the ones who are, you know, so, and, and maybe, I don't know. I just, that's just something that is, um, it's not a huge concern yet because I have faith in the show. Uh, but it's something that's been sitting on the back of my head for a while and it's getting louder and too loud to ignore the more that we go on. So I'm going to give it a few episodes and then kind of revisit it because I'm not entirely happy about it but you know that's neither here nor there so uh what else so the house of ferocity do their thing now with evangelista we have Blanca deciding to take matters into her own hands you know she's been bigging up in her kids forever in a day Blanca is an amazing mother she goes to get her own nail salon. You know, she was fired last episode. And she speaks with this white woman. And I forget, I don't even know this woman's name. But she was very much a Spike Lee villain. She was a wealthy white woman with nothing but attitude. Disrespectful as hell. uh, To the point where she said a few things I made note of when it came to Blanca. She said something about, I usually don't rent to anyone darker than my Aunt Lily. And Blanca said something. She was like, yeah, um, I recently divorced um, my husband. He was half a fag. It was like, oh, this scene. Okay, so taking a couple steps back, Blanca is having issues with the way she looks. And it's something I asked you guys about before last episode. Is, is Blanca not passing? <clears throat> and I got a lot of responses. Uh, thank you guys for that. And keep them coming. But the overall consensus was she, however beautiful she is, she's not passing in the way that Angel is. That's clear. Like, that is clear. Angel is, Angel. both of them are beautiful, but Angel is, is I can see the difference between the two of them. But for me, Blanca was always just like an, a very unique looking girl. Like, she looked, and then, but... <clears throat> Looking at body types and stuff, I can see where I'm a bit blinded by my love for the show, my love for the character of Blanca, and my empathy to everything she's going on to kind of blind me to that whole passing thing. Um, So with that, Blanca and Angel talk, and Angel's like, man, you look crazy. You, your clothes is bad and this and that. Now, again, a reason why I love this show so much 
in this scene, first of all, that it's just them two women, no male cast members around, nobody there to like that one. That was, I love Blanca and Angel's relationship. And I hope we get more, at least one scene in episode with them having this heart to heart, just like the bathroom scene from before. So the reason why this, okay. So Blanca standing up at the door, Angel sitting on the bed, they had a little conversation and Blanca is, I think she comments on how beautiful Angel is. And it wasn't a, oh, I wish I looked like you. It was a very much a, like, you're beautiful and I'm not you. I have to do what I have to do. But Blanca made the comment that, in short, paraphrasing, I have to steal clothes and stuff them under my shirt and run out. I don't have time to look at sizes. I don't have time to look at fit. Like, I don't walk in a store and pass the way that you do where you can take time and look at fit and look at outfits and look at shirts and dresses and that man again just shining a light because a lot of us could watch this show and be like yeah Blanca ain't as pretty as Angel and watch it just like that and this and that and even for the time period you see the difference in the way that Blanca and Angel are dressed when you know on the show um it's easy to just say that and let that be a comment in passing, but for them to give you the real, which is, yeah, she probably gets ran out of stores. Like the lady said last episode, you know, you owe me and nobody would rent to rent to would hire someone like you. Women want to get their nails done by real women. And like just the, the hate that she's getting just shines a light on the hate that I'm sure many trans women get on a daily, especially back then, especially ones who couldn't quote unquote pass for cisgendered women. So that was a very heavy scene. It kind of came out of nowhere because you would have thought it would just be a, a lighthearted conversation about, oh, Blanca, you can't dress. Oh, well, give me a makeover. But it was this stop in between the you dress really bad to the makeover that made it that much more heartfelt. Uh, so, spoiler, she gets a makeover. And Blanca is in this very much uh beehive as black pinstripe not pinstripe what was it like checkerboard pattern um and i'm not even saying that right black suit and yellow turtleneck and a black suit had these like yellow squares no yellow lines in it that made square it was just she looked good um but again to me she looked very much like she always looks and i again it may just be me being so close to the character watching the show. Um, let me know what you thought about the way Blanca looked. Like once she did that makeover, that angel makeover, did she look more passing, quote unquote? Did she look better to you? Am I just blinded by my love of the show that she just looked great to me no matter what? I can see that there's an, an, a very clear difference in how she was dressed and the hair and all that. Like I'm not blind to that but i think also because i follow her on instagram mj rodriguez and on twitter and stuff i see how she looks in these campaigns and in her regular like pictures so it's like i'm it's hard for me to separate the two but let me know poser pod hashtag poser pod um so what else so so she's talking to the woman and she's like oh you're a puerto rican and like it's this She's talked about gentrification and about how she doesn't rent to dark-skinned people and how this nail shop space, what's well, not intended to be a nail shop, but this space that she's renting to Blanca is just, you know, a dump. And she's using her ex-husband, who's half a fag. It was a very oh, jarring and aggressive scene. And Blanca... <sighs> And the woman talked, they make an agreement, no contracts. I have to, that's very big. It'll come back later on, but no contracts, paying cash only, first and last month's rent and deposit. And she asked the girl, Blanca, when Blanca pulled out that cash, she said, are you, where'd you get that amount of money? You're not on crack, are you? I was like, bro, this is just, oh, she is the worst. So that's that. Cool. Move on. We'll revisit that, but we're going to move on to the ballroom. House of Wintour, so this whole time Electra has been in the background securing the Infinity Houses because goddamn, she created her own house, House of Wintour, and I don't, there's nothing really else to say. It's I'm it's I'm I'm ready. Like creating all these different houses are putting so many people in the LGBTQAI community to work 
getting these checks. Like, I love it because we started off with Abundance and then we got Evangelista and then we got Ferocity. Now we have Wintour. Not to mention the other people who are just on the show who are not part of Houses. They're just people on the show. Janet Mock running the shit behind scenes. It's just, bruh. So excited. <laughs> so she comes in, Wintour, named after Anna Wintour, which is just, it, no, regardless of how y'all feel about her, I want to see Azealia Banks on this show. Like, this is very much her wheelhouse. This is very much that I was in the 212 and that uh, fantasy stuff. And that, like, this is very much Azealia Banks. And I wonder, I don't even know if she's on their radar, but... Her music fits perfectly with this show and with the era of this show. Like, hands down. Uh, so, House of Winter is here, and they look so good. Um, what's the two motherfuckers' name? Chubby and something. I don't know. The two The two guys who were part of the House of Abundance in the beginning kind of went by the wayside. I think they maybe joined Ferocity for a minute, but then they're back at uh, Evangelista with Blanc on them. Them motherfuckers flip so quick, and I don't really care for them. Even outside of that, I'm not a fan. Like, I'm happy that they're getting a check. You know, don't get to secure the bag. I hope they keep getting these checks. But their characters, I don't really care for them. I don't, I guess because I'm not getting enough. Uh, someone mentioned on Twitter that the male characters are very, like, one-dimensional. And I don't see that. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. If you do, let me know. Uh, Carefree Blurred is the handle. Use that uh, hashtag PoserPod. But I don't think that they're one-dimensional. I think that we're getting more emphasis on the trans women on the show. But we've gotten a lot from the men in season one, and it's only the second episode, so it's not like you're dealing with an ensemble cast. And this is kind of the issue. That people had with Endgame and with Infinity War. You have so many people to juggle in such a short amount of time. Whereas with those movies, you know, you just had the three hours. But with this show, you have ten episodes. So, I don't think that they're one-dimensional. I think that this isn't their story yet. Like, we have them in there because they matter. They're important. But, like Poppy, this motherfucker is becoming a fan favorite like I liked him last season but the way that they're utilizing him now versus how they did in season one is very and it's showing the growth like I don't okay so uh, Poppy oh how do I okay so last season ended Damon and Ricky audition Damon is in school Juilliard or some shit Ricky went off to dance for MC Hammer I think Lil Poppy was just you know I think he was kicked out of the house and then did we come back and he was with the house? Some kind of way. He was just kind of in the wayside. And Billy Porter, of course, Praytale and Blanca doing their whole best friend thing. But when we open up in season two and we get to this point where you have Ricky coming back off tour, you have Damon still teaching. You know, he's, hmm, is he still in school? I forget. But he's teaching. He's teaching voguing. He's teaching He's actively doing something. And Lil Poppy, his role is a bit more, uh, not pronounced, it's bigger in the house. So I don't, I don't know, I just don't agree with the men being one-dimensional characters. I feel like they've, they're, they're growing with what they were last season in a very believable way. You are trespassing. I paid you first and last. This is my place for at least two months. You deceived me. I can work with thieves and murderers, but I cannot do business with... A liar. Norman Properties reserves the right to evict tenants at any time. Wait, I'm sorry, was that written in my rental contract? The one you told me we didn't need? You know, I talked to those nice people at New York City Commission of Human Rights. They're in charge of making sure people like you don't discriminate against people of color when renting to us. And they set me up with a nice lawyer pro bono. And she said, without a contract, I've got squatters' rights. And I should stay put until I have my day in court. Sweetheart, I've got an entire law firm on retainer. I've got the best Jews from Harvard and Yale ready to squash you like a bug. You know, for the first time in my life, I'm fighting back to the bitter end. I'm not here to gentrify neighborhoods so white ladies like you can feel comfortable walking down the street. I'm here for me. It's not just Jews I have in my Rolodex. I've got Italians, Russians, 
Ones that can be very persuasive. Are you threatening me? Only your kneecaps. You think I'm scared of a beating? I've had more beatings than you had breakfast. Now shoot, I have a grand opening in two days. You'll hear from my lawyers. Good. It's on. We get Ricky back. Back off tour. Him and Damon, they had this little kind of hood ass romantic evening <laughs> where uh damien had some rose petals from the front door back to their room they had just like fort thing which wasn't so childish it was more so like improvising because we know these people are poor you only have so much and uh you know they having sex they're happy to see each other blanca walks in on them and she's like oh my god i'm sorry come on meet me out we have a family meeting someone else has died so another character of this show is the aids epidemic Throughout this show, just the first two episodes, we are, I don't want to say beat over the head because they're doing it in a very tasteful and believable way, but we're getting heavy, heavy um, signs of the time, for lack of a better term. There is an AIDS epidemic going on in this time. There are people who are directly affected who we're, we're getting, and I don't know if the people who are dying on the show are representative of some real people that were alive or if they're just, you know, we've made up Calvin to die this episode and this is why. But regardless, it is very impactful. Um, They're doing a good job, I think, at teaching in a lot of these scenes where it doesn't feel like the gay episode, the trans episode, the HIV episode. They're giving you actual like facts and the stuff that they're um, giving you that's fake quote unquote, like the houses that's made up rather could like, I don't know if the house of Wintour is even real. I probably should have looked that up, but even if it's not, that's something that we can accept as being real or being real in this world. Whereas the facts about HIV um, CD4 counts and, 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 and uh, anti red, HIV meds, because I know I was going to butcher that name, that word, and um, the epidemic itself, people who are affected, all of that stuff is real, hardcore facts, and they're providing it to you in this show in a very, um, like I said, believable and then entertaining way, making it be important to the plot. It's not just, oh, Kevin died, okay, guys, let's go to a ball. It's like, no, this motherfucker died, we're going to show you at this funeral, and you're going to get the back and forth, you're going to get the Lulu and the candy being shady at the funeral. You're going to get Pray Tell and Blanca being uh, concerned. Uh, you're going to get Sandra Bernhardt talking her mess. You're going to get the family being affected. Like, this is oh, so needed. This show is so needed. Lord, this show is so needed. So, we get all that. We get the house at the funeral, but we only have Angel, Lil Poppy, and Blanca. Well, and Pray Tell as well. Excuse me. And um, with that, the next scene, and I'm not sure if it's the next chronologically, but the next time we see everyone at the house, Ricky, Damon, then the two other dudes who I don't really fuck with, they all show up. They were apparently downtown voguing, and they missed the funeral. And it's like, man, you missed the whole goddamn funeral. But they kind of threw it back at Blanca. Like, you keep saying this is our time. You keep saying that Madonna is putting Vogue on the map. You keep saying all this, and yet we're here living in that and getting this admiration that you you want for us and that you're mad because we didn't make it to a funeral. Well, I'm kind of on their side in that regard, but I'm also on her side. Like, it's a funeral. Like, you motherfuckers is bouncing around here as if y'all not all chase running from the same monster. Like, it's not something that we all can deal with. And, I mean, I get it. Being young, being kid, being free. You don't want to be beat over the head with all of this sadness all the time. So I can see both points of view. <clears throat> I can. Um, but it's just like, damn, man. We don't, why are we, I don't know. I don't know. That's touchy. Um, I do want to make note that Damon looks very manly. Uh, and that's not a compliment or an insult. It's just like versus last season. So him and Ricky next to each other. Before they looked a bit equal, but Damon is fuller, like he looks bigger than last season. And he looks like Ricky still looks youthful and small, 
and so I don't. That was a bit not odd, but that was that's I took notice of that over the episode, and uh, I'm, I'm interested to see if that'll even be played like into the show if it'll be mentioned. But he looked a lot bigger and more manly than he did last season. But that's just something I noticed. Uh, so with Ricky and Damon, their storyline is. Man, so Ricky was off dancing, you know, for a while. I'm assuming maybe a couple months. And now we're at this ball and this dude is hitting on Damon. And Damon's like, no, nah, I'm good. And he's like, oh, yeah, something. Like, let me buy you a drink. He's like, no, nah, I'm okay. I'm in love or whatever. And the dude's like, yeah, you're in love with Ricky. And we was fucking every night. And I, like that, I did not see that coming. So kudos to the show for the way they brought that up. Because I just thought the guy was hitting on uh, Damon. But... Damon and the boy get to fight. And I'm like, damn, this is some young shit. Because I'm like, all right, fam. I'm like, good for you. So, skedaddle. Like, I don't... Because you're going out of your way. Either be you telling the truth or not. You're going out of your way to let it be known. And now it's coming off a bit vindictive. A bit uh, like you're not jealous, but that you're up, maybe jealous or upset. Because, you know, now you got your little homeboys around. And y'all laughing and joking about it. Cool. But I'm good, and you keep fucking with me. So they get to fighting. Then Ricky shows up and breaks up the fight. And now Ricky Ricky and Damon are now having issues. And Proytheo's shutting down the ball. Because he like, if, if uh, Candy with her hammer, because I don't know where the fuck she got a hammer from, is going to go upside Electra's head. And if Electra got a knife, because this is what's happening, immediately before this fight between Damon and this other guy... You're like, fuck this shit. I'm done. Uh, <laughs> so the running thing becomes, what the fuck is going on, Ricky? You've been fucking this nigga. Why the fuck? I thought we was being monogamous. So while they're having this argument back home, they're having it in front of Blanca. And Damon says, and again, I'm paraphrasing, you, and to think I let you convince me to fuck without a condom. Blanca damn near lost her fucking mind. She sent out Poppy and Angel, which were comic relief in this scene. And it was very, I like them because, just because, hell, I like I like Angel and Poppy. But she sent them out and then we get to arguing. And Damon, okay, I'm trying to wrap this up. Damon and Ricky arguing. Blanca... I don't know if Blanca makes them. I think she does makes them go and get another HIV test. Damon got his first. And then the way they cut the scenes up, we didn't see a reaction. Uh, But then Ricky, we see Damon looking out the window at the hospital and Ricky coming out talking about, I'm I'm negative too and this and that. Uh, And then a few things happen. Damon, while watching all of these scenes with them, in my head, I'm thinking, Damon cheated on Ricky. And maybe y'all, y'all let me know how you, what you think. Use that hashtag PoserPod, Carefree Blurt, on Twitter. But the way that Damon is handling Ricky is one of two things. The one thing that the show has given us is that he feels as if him and Ricky have kind of run their course because he's lost himself within the relationship with Ricky. Like, he was living for Ricky, doing everything for him. I didn't see it that way because, like, he was really adamant about getting in school last season, and he did, but I'm accepted because he said it. So at this ball, Damon breaks up with Ricky. So going back to the scene with the uh, with the, the AIDS test, the HIV test, um, Ricky is excited. You know, his test was negative. And he's trying to comfort Damon. And it feels like Damon may be jealous of him. And it's not jealous like you're making it and I ain't. It's more jealous that you're making it and I haven't. But it's on me. I've lost my way. But all the while they're arguing, I'm thinking in my head, Damon, you must have cheated on Ricky. Because I get the, I get being upset if Ricky did sleep with this guy. And I get feeling betrayed, but I, I don't know. And I can't really pinpoint one thing, but when all those scenes were happening, I was thinking, no, you stepped out on him, and now you are maybe getting mad at him before he can get mad at you and find out. So it's either 
what the show has given us, which is Damon is feels like he's stifled and he needs to be on his own, or he's cheating on this man, or shit, both, hell, so I don't know, let me know what you guys think, I kind of think Damon made a cheated on Ricky, and this time around, Ricky was the one who was uh, faithful, so, oh shit, I feel like I'm missing something, so, okay, all that happens, Ricky is upset, understandably, his acting wasn't that great, I don't think in that scene where they were breaking up, but it, it, it got the job done. And Damon told him, like, look, you go to Blanca when you have issues. I'm not saying you can't be in the house or whatever else, but we can't be together. So, you know, it is what it is. So Ricky ends up leaving the house altogether, but not before. And this is taking a couple steps back. Um, oh, duh, this is how Blanca got them to go to get their tests. So everyone in the house is sitting around the table. Blanca is telling her story about how she lost sight of herself, how she didn't think she was worthy. She was giving herself up to all these different men, anyone who smiled at her because she wanted love. And it was a very real story, man. Like, God, this is so many different people's story. And they, and even seeing it, not just her telling the story, but seeing the flashbacks. And she tells the house that she has AIDS. And that was such a heavy scene, like to see Lil Poppy, who is, um, what's the man's name, Angel Carrillo, I know I've messed that up, but his acting, him and Angel, okay, oh, wait, Lil Poppy, Angel, and Blanca, so MJ Rodriguez, India Moore, and the actor playing Poppy, whose name is Angel Carrillo, <laughs> That was such a good scene. Like, he, oh, my God, this dude was like, Mom, I'm sorry. I'm here for you. Whatever you want. You'll never uh, be sad. You'll never be hurt. If you need cough medicine, I'll steal that shit for you. Like, it was just, man, you get shows where, let's say Cosby's, let's say um, Full House, <coughs> excuse me, let's say um, um, Steve Urkel, whatever. You get these families where you, these shows where these families are put together. And for all intents and purposes on the show, we understand that these people are a family. Regardless to how they look, we understand that they function as in this world of the show, they are family, biological, blood related. But then you get a show like this and we understand that they are a family and it feels exactly like the other Cosby's and the, the Full House and the family map it feels like that but you also understand within the world of this show they are not biologically related nor are they supposed to be biologically related but you're getting that same feeling and i think that is very important to take away from this show because it's it's showing that your chosen family is just as important as your biological family and sometimes more considering everyone does not always have the best experiences with their blood given family and this scene did it for me even though ricky left and so did those other two dudes who i don't really give a fuck about at its core you're getting you're getting this family this family that blanca created and man it's i, I love this show uh jumping ahead with blanca and her issue uh, the gentrifying white woman is doing some interview, some piece or whatever, and her son's stupid ass walks in. I forget his name. I think it was Jody or something. And he's in a tracksuit looking very much stereotypical mobster. And he comes in talking about, I've been to making collections, which is why are you saying that in front of a news outlet? But um, he tells her, Mom, you know that that building you rented to that Puerto Rican down on whatever, whatever street, that's a dude. That's a man. She's like, no, no, that's not. He's like, no, that is a guy. And he runs down to Blanca's nail shop, which is impeccably like decorated for such a small budget and gives her the money back. And Blanca's having a nervous breakdown. She's like, oh no, you can't do that. Blah, whatever. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out is that this motherfucker is a goddamn coward. Okay, so we're in the 80s, in the 90s. People hate gays and trans people. You think that they're weak and soft and you can whoop their ass. Cool. Why on earth are you the collection guy who's supposed to walk around intimidating people for their money? How the fuck do you go back down to Blanca's shop, give her her money back, and run the fuck out of there? 
Like, I'm like, okay, you big Billy Badass, and you up here shaking folks down for money. Why ain't you keep that same energy with her if gays and trans people are supposed to be these weak things to be made fun of and a butt of a joke? Like, you talking about, oh, that's a man. Okay, well, square up. Like, why you not giving the same energy that you're supposedly giving to all these other people? Like, he literally came in, gave her the money, said, you can't stay here or whatever, and ran out. That looks cowardly as fuck. Like, did you think she was going to whoop your ass? Did you not want to be seen with her? And even that, if folks know that your mama is that head bitch in charge and you the collection dude, it shouldn't fucking matter. It, it, I don't know, man. I got that. I got a little riled up in that scene. Uh, also, what else? Um, so, Pretel tells her, like, man, motherfucker, fight back. And I'm in my head. I'm thinking, okay, clearly she's going to have to fight for the shop. How the fuck she going to fight for the shop? So, her, Blanca, and homegirl talking. And she like, look, bitch, I ain't signing no motherfucking contract. The woman's like, oh, I'm, I got some friends talking about, you know, mob dudes who will come and whoop her ass. She said, look, motherfucker, you can't beat me no more than I've been beaten before. I've got my ass beaten. I've gotten the fuck back up. And what she should have said was, if your bitch-ass son is any indication of what the fuck you got in your arsenal, fuck him. Um, Blanca hooked up with some type of advocacy group that was helping trans people or people in the LGBT community, but I think trans people, with, like, businesses and not being taken advantage of. And she like, you know, call your motherfucking lawyers if you want to, but this is going to be a fight that we both finna, you know, go through some shit. So, I, look, I couldn't, I can't get no happier, man. I just, I don't know. I'm I'm excited. So, pretty much, Blanca then stood up to this woman. Uh, and... That's it. Shit. Electra then used her little CD funds to get this big ass penthouse for her and her house member or house members, excuse me. And I don't know. That's that's it. Electra Wintour. Um having to let me see. Oh, Ricky became a Wintour. And it, that was said in passing. We didn't physically, we didn't see it happen. But at that meeting that Evangelistas had, they were discussing how Ricky is now a Wintour. Now, what I'm hoping doesn't happen is Ricky, because you removed yourself from the house, no one kicked you out. I'm hoping he doesn't go to Wintour and disclose Aunt Blanca's status to them. I don't see why he would. I don't see what he would gain from that. But... Electra had her uh, Nubian queen Carmen San Diego fit walking through that big ass house. Um, I'm all for it. I'm 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 again. This is shaping up to be a good ass season. Like for real, for real. And I'm 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 so happy for it. <clears throat> that being said, let me see who gets my tens tens across the board when they walk off. We all applaud. My favorite of this episode, bruh. I don't know, man, because even though Electra is a shitty-ass person at times, like, I'm liking the 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 path that she's on. Um, also, Tati, like, though she didn't have a huge part, I'm a fan from my house on Viceland. Go and check out My House is Burning. This is the Carefree Black Nerds review over Viceland's My House. I'll probably put a link in the show note. Um, but then Blanca also... I don't know, man. Like Blanca and Electra are probably. I'm, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I don't know, y'all. I'm stuck between the two. I'm gonna probably go with Blanca, but I'm stuck between the two though, because Electra is a shitty ass person, man. But she is. She's. I like that she's clawing her way back up to where she was when we first met her and above, because her apartment before wasn't all that great. Her shit now. Woo, she better invest. So I'll default to Blanca, but honestly, it's Blanca and Electra for this episode. Uh, let me see my least favorite of this episode. Really was them two niggas that is part of the house who kept house flipping. I don't know. I don't really care about them. I don't even know their names. Um, let me see. Who would be a least favorite of this episode? And probably Damon. Man, because I want to, like, I still like him as a character, but I'm like, man, I don't know. I think you've been doing some shady shit, so I don't know. I'm going to put Damon as my least favorite. Uh, my favorite scene, it was going to be Blanca 
disclosing her status because the story, uh, the flashbacks, Angel, Angel, excuse me, uh, Lil Poppy's reaction. I yeah, it gotta be Angel telling her, Angel. God damn it, it gotta be Blanca telling her status. Cause man, this was this was some heavy shit. Um, let me know who's you know all these categories for you guys. Who gets your tens across the board? Who was your least favorite of the episode? And what scene or collection of scenes were your favorite as well? Uh, use that hashtag PoserPod and tweet me at CarefreeBlurred. Really love to hear your thoughts and whatnot. Y'all, I've been kind of toying with the idea of doing a pregame in the same vein of the Black Lightning pregames that I do with my co-host Cole Jackson for Black Lightning Matters, BLM Pod. Uh, let me know if you'd be interested in watching a pregame. Let me know. So about 10, 15 minutes or so before the next episode airs, it'd be a pregame before live tweeting. Uh, that being said... Make sure to check me on Twitter on Tuesday for the live tweet of FX's pose. Use that hashtag PoserPod. We'll be in the show notes. You'll see me live tweeting my ass off, trying to get them jokes off and shit and the memes and whatnot. You guys can also uh, follow me on Twitter, Carefree Blurred. Um, go ahead onto any other social media, and it's Carefree Black Nerd, Instagram, of course. Um, there is a YouTube channel. There are a few. Videos up there, not anything huge, just a few podcast episodes, but please go over to YouTube, Carefree Black Nerd, and subscribe as well. There is content coming. Uh, any content ideas, let me know. They'll be coming a bit later in the year. Uh, what else? Email me, carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Guys, let me know. Did you get any... Did I change your mind on anything? Did we have the same thoughts and views on the episode? Let me know. Uh, Poser Pod. And uh, until next time, guys, join me back here next week. Same nerd time, same nerd station for Poser, House of Poser. And uh, stay carefree, stay nerdy, and stay geeky. Aye. Right.